Welcome to Mysterious Universe, Season 30, Episode 14. Coming up on this show, we've got Involuntary Psychometry, Bigfoot Search and Rescue, and the activation of the Zanfretta Alien Sphere. I'm your host, Benjamin Grundy. Joining me is Aaron Wright. The big guy's back. He's made another appearance. If you've been uh, following the news recently, there has been a sighting of Bigfoot in Colorado. And I've been looking at this footage. It's all a distraction. I know. It's all a distraction. I don't think it's this a distraction at all. This is what you said all. about the mummies. That's very different. The last time no, the no, 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 mummies no. appeared. That is, that is very different. <laughs> Although in saying that, though, I was uh, listening to a couple of other people, you know, talking about this. And this is something that I thought, you know, it, it rung a little bit of, of a chord with me in that Bigfoot sightings seem to show up when there's turmoil in the world. And this kind of crosses more into the spiritual aspects of what Bigfoot is. Yeah, you're playing the footage right now, Ben. Of course, we'll link to it in the show notes uh, at mysteriousuniverse.org so you can see it for yourself. Um, But essentially, this is along the uh, Durango-Silverton narrow-gauge railway line. Uh, This was footage was captured by Shannon Parker and her partner Stetson. Uh, they claim that they spotted this creature in broad daylight as it moved across the rugged hillside. Now, I've actually got uh, some footage from a news report from Nine News out of out of Denver. Let's just play that, Ben, because they focus in right. on the actual creature, and you stop, can take a closer look. Stop the press. This stop is the what's press. coming up on this show. What is coming up? Three hours analyzing this Bigfoot video. <laughs> what's this one? This is the news report? Yes, this is the news report. Bigfoot. Walking around Southern Colorado, take a look and see what you think. A couple shared this video on social media saying they spotted Bigfoot while riding the Durango and Silverton narrow gauge railroad train. They told Out There Colorado most people on the train didn't notice anything. Over the years, there have been more than 100 reported Bigfoot sightings in Colorado. So the interesting thing about this, and of course the go-to for most people is it's a guy in a suit. Like it's a guy wandering around out there in a suit. Uh, and normally that's kind of the, the way that I would lean as well. Like why go to that kind of effort to, you know, pull some kind of hoax, but, you know, people do strange things. But the thing is, is that there is actually a book published almost a decade ago now. It's been sitting in my library for quite a while. It's called Stalked, My Encounter with the Colorado Bigfoot. It's by Brad Morris. Uh, it's introduced by Rusty Wilson. Of course, if you remember Rusty Wilson, he's published those great kind of a little bit cheesy books like yeah, why uh, do I remember that name? Rusty Wilson's Campfire and all the oh. Bigfoot Campfire, those sorts of books, right? Like fun books. But the reason why I dismissed this book so many years ago was because the way that it's written, it's very wordy. It's very like, if it's a guy just describing his experience, it's like got all these excessive adjectives in it. That it's so it sounds like, like someone's writing a he's story. He's writing a story as opposed to telling of his like experience. Like all of Rusty Wilson's books. Yes. But in saying that though, I, I went back and I reread it and it just so happens that Brad Morris's story, and I've obviously compressed it down and removed a lot of the fluff from it, happened in precisely this location, and he was on that very train. Now, some of the reports that have come out of Colorado from that particular region, uh, you can see in some of these images that the hair on this this Bigfoot seems to be hanging down by about a foot. Uh, It's quite long. It's longer than what other Bigfoot reports are from other locations. But around Colorado, people describe it having about a foot of hair hanging from its arms in some of the sightings. And these sightings go back 30, 40 years Uh, Also, you know, in Colorado, there's that great story from years and years and years ago that uh, we were described. Oh, you're playing more of this footage. No, no, no. Keep going. So years ago, right, if you remember that classic story, this is from January of 1977. This is from Clearwater in Colorado. Can we stop and talk about this footage before you dive into this? Because we need to analyze this a little bit. Sure. Okay. Well, let's do that. I I don't think this is real. I I think this is a guy in a suit. And the reason for that is... 
when he's walking across the the grass plains there, his steps are what you would expect from the gate. Yeah, not even the gate, just the length of the stride. It mm-hmm. just it looks like a man. Uh, and when he sits down, you can see he almost pushes his arms forward as if he's you know if like you got like sleeves to, on, yep. and you're trying yes, to get your right. hands loose of the sleeves. It's yep. like he does that movement. And also before he sits down, I don't know if we can if we can see it in the footage here. Before he sits down, and this isn't very zoomed in for the video, but you, you can actually see if you go to the website, we'll link to this. You can zoom in on it yourself. You you can see that his leg is very straight, as in there's no definition of the muscle. And mm-hmm. yeah, it could be long hair, but it, it looks like he's wearing loose pants. Right, yeah. So it looks like a suit. Look, I'm not saying by any means that I think that this is real. I'm going to withhold my judgment as to to what it is. As I said, I lean more towards the possibility that this is a person simply in a suit. But you cannot ignore that this area is a hotspot for activity of people encountering Bigfoot-type creatures. Uh, and in fact, even aboard the train, so um, the, the witnesses claimed that they spoke to the conductor. And the conductor was almost nonchalant about it. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we see them all the time. Like people have been seeing these things uh, for quite a while. We've had a number of experiences with them. And this area, you know, is connected with, you know, 30 to 40 years of people having experiences running into these Bigfoot type creatures. You make a really important point, though, there, Ben, is that especially in, in Brad Morris's story, which I'm going to describe in a moment. He actually points out that when he looks at this creature, uh, and in many of the other reports that come out of Colorado, and I'll describe a couple of those as well, uh, it's that typical, I could see the rippling muscle underneath the the hair. Like that's something that people yeah. describe. Like I can see the mass that's there, suggesting that it's not a person in a suit. It's actually some type of creature um, that is, you know, and some of the things that it does as well, like in Brad's story, you know, this particular region where he is, there's these little freshwater streams that go through this area. Uh, when he experiences one of these these creatures, one of these Bigfoot creatures, which in his experience, it's black, but it has this silver, uh, almost luminescent stripe running down its back. At first, he kind of from a distance thought that it was a skunk or something. Uh, and then much later on, obviously, because he has these interactions mm. with this beast, he ends up calling it silver because of this silver stripe. But he said that this thing could just take... It was like a stride across a riverbank. Yeah, like it the, could just move over. The it. way it's walking, it's like it's the way you would walk if it's awkward for you in the wilderness. You know, it's yeah. like an awkward stumble through the brush. Yes. Whereas all reports of these things is that they they move like nothing you've ever seen. That they're gone yes. in a second. They take huge strides with pure confidence. This is a dude gingerly trying to step around the rocks because I don't want to break my ankle with the suit on. This, he's honestly worried <laughs> about twisting his ankle back on the suit. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it looks like to me. And again, look at the look at his back leg here. See his back leg? Yep. I see I can't I can't really pause it while I'm looking at the screen. Yeah, 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 no, that's okay. Let me see if I can like right, right. there. It's, see, it's see a lot how straighter. It, yep. It's all straight right down the back of his leg. Yeah. It, it looks like a pantsuit. It looks like a suit to me. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right as well. Um, but, you know, I, I wanted to use this as a jumping point to describe some of these experiences because Colorado is a hotbed for this activity. And in fact, you know, it's not just the, the Bigfoot creature that people are experiencing. They're experiencing a wide range of high strangeness activity. And that ultimately led me down to this path that I want to get into later in the show. I've got this uh, documentary that I've uh, I've dug through. It's, it's about an hour and a half long, but it's called oh, really? The Bigfoot of Bailey, Colorado, and it's portal. So the moment that I hear oh, that, I'm just like, oh, Bigfoot portal. Um, 
it's a little bit silly, but it's a oh, good wow. it's a good representation of just how Follow me surprised. when you get deep into this phenomenon, uh, perhaps you start seeing things that aren't there, but then at the same time, if the phenomenon has an intelligence behind mm-hmm. it, uh, it starts to deliberately entice you. Do we have a pregnant female Sasquatch showing up at a man's house? Pointing at him <laughs> so- and then pointing at her pregnant belly and going, oh, no, that, pointing up to the sky. That doesn't come up. And then uh, disappearing in a UFO. There are a couple of stories <laughs> that are possibly similar, but no, no, nothing like that. Uh, but before we get into that and we start you know, going through this documentary and, of course, Brad Morris's story, uh, what have you got coming up later on the show, Ben? I'm going to be returning to a classic I don't think we've ever covered in detail on the show, the Zanfretta case. This is the story of an Italian... Uh, night watchman, like a security guard, mm-hmm. in, in a little town north of Genoa in northwest Italy, just south of Milan. And his job was to, in this little Fiat, he would drive around in the mountains and he would check on all the properties. He was doing his nightly patrol. Local security. And one night, this was 1978, in December 1978, he went missing for over two hours. And when his fellow security guards found him, he was face down on the freezing ground mm-hmm. and completely terrified, absolutely terrified, saying that they're gonna they're gonna take me. They weren't human. There's uh, recordings of him on the radio saying they're not human. They're not human. And he claims he was attacked by three meter tall entities, mm-hmm. strange looking entities. And many of you may recall this case when you see the actual sketches. Oh, of course. This yeah, is it's classic. This is from Reno uh, De Stefano, who was the journalist that fo- followed this case from the get-go. He was there almost from the day one of this encounter. When was this? Was it 70s? 1978. 78. Okay. And on the last Plus show, we mentioned Bibu's re- recent article on our site at mysteriousuniverse.org detailing that in Italy in 1978, there was a huge UFO wave. That's right, yes. Tons of reportings, tons of sightings, strange creatures seen all over the country. And it seemed like there was almost a mass psychosis in mm. Italy. And yet people of uh, renown in the community, uh, reliable eyewitnesses, were reporting seeing these strange things. And indeed, this um, this Zafreda individual, by all accounts, was a, a very reliable, yep. experienced security Honest. guard, a brave man. There was, you know, instances where he had got in gunfights with, like, local criminals. Like, he was that kind of guy where he wouldn't back away from a fight. And yet, when they found him, he was blubbering like a baby. Mm. And on the ground, when... Uh, De Stefano, the journalist, he went to follow up on this case. This is after the police recorded this as well. On the ground where they found him in this little villa in the mountains in, in Italy, there was this horseshoe-shaped print in the ground. Huge, like, you know, five, six metres across. And it like had a craft? It, well, it had pressed into the frozen earth and had indented into the earth by more than, you know, five, ten centimetres. It's obviously a considerable mass in in there. Well, in the police report, they stated that it looks like a helicopter or some kind of flying craft had actually landed here. And when he started to uh, interview some of the locals, they're like, yeah, we saw a light in the sky. But this was just the start of this insane saga. I might actually have to do this in a two-parter and continue the story on Tuesday, because ultimately this leads us into a vast conspiracy surrounding what these entities allegedly gave him. Really? There's reports that, 
and he went through multiple hypnosis sessions, which I'll go into in detail, where he claims they gave him an object, an artifact of sorts, and he was meant to be the custodian of it. And the story is in multiple parts because almost a decade after this was wrapped up, a strange pair of Americans showed up and started asking questions about this alien artifact. Do you mean Men in Black style? No. Okay. No, they're connected to a billionaire, this mysterious billionaire in the United States who was looking for this artifact that was allegedly given to Zafreda. What is it with these billionaires and hunting these artifacts all the time? Well, the reason why uh, they wanted to track down Zanfreda and get this artifact is because, according to this mysterious American couple, this billionaire who was funding their search had already located two of these artifacts and they needed the third one to activate them. I think I've seen this Indiana Jones <laughs> film. It's this it wild and- story. Like, you think it's this classic... Because I remember when we've spoken about it before, it would have been in like, you know, 2012, even earlier, like maybe 2010, we would have mentioned this from a website that covered the story. Oh, we certainly didn't go into any of the the follow-up to it. But this book from Stefano wasn't translated into English until 2014. And he gives that story that we've known from the internet for decades. But he adds this entire second half to it, which is this really fascinating conspiracy that's got to do with these artifacts and got to do with the return of these entities. It's always such a great example with these cases, though, that they're not isolated. You know, it's really for a lot of people, you you, you know the, the base of the story, like you hear someone encounters a humanoid or they see something weird. But with many of the cases, when you kind of peel back the layers a little bit, you go out and talk to people, you find that there's all these extra elements of high strangeness, odd conspiracies, mm. You know, like they're never in isolation. There's always something else going on. And I think that actually ties into why, you know, with the entirety of the phenomenon, that there's always another agenda. There's something else going on in the background and these cases are not isolated. And that's why I wanted to talk about this Bigfoot case, because you know, in this particular area in Colorado, there's that really classic case of Jim and Barbara Evans. So this happened back in 1977 in Clearwater, Colorado, and they move on to the, this property, right? And it's got this Skinwalker Ranch-esque kind of feel to it because, you know, there's cattle mutilation that's taking place. There's weird lights in the sky. You know, it's, it's a well-known case. But Jim and his son, Joe, his eldest son, Joe, had seen these strange lights, like in this yellow light coming through from the trees. So they go out to check this yellow light. And you know what it is, Ben. It's this box. It's this black box. No way. That's just there, right? And it's So the buzzing. box is famous from the 1970s cases in Pennsylvania. That's right. right? Yes. There's this famous story of eyewitnesses seeing this sparking, strange black cube. They're like all thing over in the, the country. In, sitting in the tree, like hovering in the tree. Yep. And isn't that the story where Bigfoot reached out to try and touch it and it bloomed smithereens? This happened here! <laughs> it happened as well in Clearwater. So they go to look at this box and it's buzzing. They said as soon as they get close to it, it's buzzing so they, they back away because it's like a, a bunch of angry bees uh, and they go inside. Like, I don't know why. They just get away from it. So yeah. this is the same story? It's a very similar story. It's not the same. So I don't, maybe you're thinking about, because there were cases in Pennsylvania as well, uh, which ha- followed along the same kind of line, right? Well, in this particular case, um, Jim went out the following night and he said when he went out the following night, 
there was this light that was kind of beckoning him. So he goes out into the light and there's these two individuals. And these two individuals, like the case from Pennsylvania, are like, steer clear of that that box because it's really dangerous. And when you say individuals, these aren't necessarily human beings. They're, they're dressed in white robes. Well, here, they've got long blonde hair. That's the, the original story. They're tight-fitting clothing in a, like a flight suit. Uh-huh. And the clothing would change colour from brown to silver. Like it would oscillate between the colours. Uh, and, you know, they apologised basically for all the issues that the family had been experiencing on the farm. And I'm like, you've been mutilating their cattle. I think you need to probably do more than apologise. Um, but that they say, yeah, watch out. And they point over to the distance and there's this Bigfoot creature that was standing behind them. And it was obeying orders. It walked up to the box. The box started <laughs> yeah. making this angry this bee swarming story. sound. Oh, it must be the same. Well, this one's from Colorado, right? Um, and they went. To, this Bigfoot went to touch it and he dropped to the ground. It must be the story from Colorado. Because it's like identical it's story. It's identical. There can't be multiple stories, there are stories of two individuals saying, don't go near that box. That's our Bigfoot creature. Watch it touch the box. And then the Bigfoot gets blown to smithereens. Yeah, there can't be two, there can't be two stories. stories. But those boxes, they appear all over the states. Like right. there's actually a, a subsection yeah. of stories of these black boxes. Um, some um, people have described them as being black carbon um, spheres that were, no, sorry, cubes that will show yeah. up. And uh, they're glowing and glowing, there's weird lights and electricity, electricity. coming off them. And what? I can't remember, was it like a Looney Tunes cartoon where Bigfoot was just like a burnt cinder with smoke coming off him and two it, eyeballs? Or was it just a complete obliteration? It there's doesn't nothing there. say that here, but you have to wonder, right? You have to wonder what happened. Yeah, And obviously some of these cases could be, you know, blown out of proportion. But then, of course, like it's not just Bigfoot. So here it's not an isolated kind of story. It's your, your Bigfoot associated with UFO activity. Uh, the great Chris O'Brien, you know, we know him from his great work that he's done with uh, cattle mutilation research. He also has a case from Colorado from the 1980s where a witness from uh, Windshell Lake has told him that they experienced something extremely bizarre when uh, he was out fishing. The witness was out fishing on the lake when he noticed a huge white buffalo. This white buffalo just kind of appeared out of nowhere. And he's like, that's that's weird. And it was much bigger than a normal buffalo, aside from the fact that its color was off as well. And so he kind of like made eye contact with it and moved towards it. And as soon as he moves towards it, it just vanished in front of him, like right. into into nothingness, right? So it's like, what's with these weird anomalous creatures that are showing up? It's not just Bigfoot. You've got UFOs. You've got these strange creatures. The area itself is associated with a huge amount of, of high strangeness, right? Is this close to where this sighting was that's been getting all this attention? It's all within the state, but what is close? Obviously, it's within the state, but... It, well, quite when I, it's like the southwestern kind of area, but then you've got, you know, um, the Windshell Lake is more to the, the southeast uh, area, but it's across this kind of section, but you can't really draw any conclusions as to where it is exactly. I don't think that there, you know, is any particular... Um, like window zone perhaps that's going on. But I wanted to bring up the story that comes from from Brad Morris. And this is from Stalked, My Encounter with a Colorado Bigfoot. And it, it's uh, the theme that I've really got going with this particular show. And this is what comes up a lot as well with Bigfoot is that apart from getting impregnated when you have encounters with these Bigfoot in some of these stories, um, <laughs> You also no, you don't get impregnated. The Bigfoot, the Bigfoot gets, gets impregnated. The female Bigfoot gets impregnated. That's right. Yes. Um, but they also... And you might have hazy memories of it, like some wild night. There's just flashes of fur, <laughs> hairy boobs in front of you. <laughs> but you can't quite remember exactly like, what how happened. How drug was I? Yeah. Like, oh, God. Uh, but no, it's there's this spiritual element that comes in. And it's really strange. And there's this, uh, I guess, a, a group of people 
that you've got, there's a full spectrum of your Bigfoot researchers and you've got the hardcore, you know, it's a flesh and blood anomalous ape. And then you've got- The Jeff Meldrums. Exactly. Yeah. And then you've got people that move towards the middle of like, well, you know, it's potentially flesh and blood, but then at the same time it displays, you know, paranormal, supernatural attributes. So maybe it's interdimensional. Uh, And then you go to the very far other end of the spectrum where you've got- Kwani Lapsaritis. Kwani Lapsaritis, you know, that it's like, it's a spiritual animal and it's just here to help people and it connects with people and it's about healing and you know there's like and this is the thing like in this um in colorado you've got people describing bigfoot healings and i so i tried to find more details about it and i couldn't but basically it was a guy who was suffering from either arthritis or something and count as a bigfoot bigfoot's like oh what does bigfoot reiki over the top of him and he's fine like he's, he's and did, I'm like, bigfoot, well, did bigfoot have like some kind of mobile massage table that he carries with him throughout the forest or did you just lay him down no, on, no, on the no, forest floor just, i imagine i imagine that it's like he just pulls it out of another dimension like just pulls it out and yeah. it suddenly appears in our Very reality comfortable because those massage tables are already uncomfortable but if you got your face in a bunch of dirt and <laughs> you know mulch and bigfoot's doing reiki on you yeah i mean Look, it's it's all worth it in the end if he's able to cure true. you of your you know rheumatism. That is true. So with with Brad's experience, uh, as I pointed out, and I'll link to the book so you can read the full story. It is a, a longer story, but it's longer because it, it feels like it's been deliberately made to be longer because it's basically a guy who is, he points out later on that he ends up suffering from PTSD from this encounter. He's severely traumatized by this, but then there's this uh, paradox and it's kind of got a healing effect for him. And the issue is, is that ultimately this guy is, um, decides he's a hiker, he's a mountaineer, he loves traveling out to these particular locations. This is all the way back in August of 1986 that this event took place. And he headed into the uh, the Needle Mountains. And the Needle Mountains, uh, the way that you can get there, you can actually, there's a trail that you can go through. And the trail is that is on that very train line of where this oh. Bigfoot footage was taken from, okay. this Durango-Silverton narrow-gauge railway line. So he actually travels on that train. He travels on that train. He wants to get away. Uh, his Wait, father, the same train from the video? The same train from the video. Okay. But back in the 80s, uh, his father, he found out his father had passed away. His father was only young. He was in his early 50s. And I think um, he was working as a linesman or something like that. And he'd been either electrocuted or something had fallen on him. And he was feeling guilty because his father, uh, there'd been a rift between him and his father for a couple of years before he passed away. So he goes out and he travels into the wilderness uh, he says that, you know, he wants to get through the base of the Chicago Basin Trail at Needleton, uh, and he finds this this trail, and he starts heading up this trail, and as he does so, he comes across this burial site. I don't know what, it, he, he leant over something, and he, he tripped over something, and he starts digging it up, and he describes digging up this huge bone, like this really large bone, and for whatever reason, he's kind of drawn to it, he's attracted to it, and he says it's red, it's like this deep red kind of colour which he's assuming has probably come from the soil that it's been in. Somehow it's been, you know, maybe from iron or something like that. What kind of bone? He's not sure. And this is what grabs his attention. It's just this massive bone. And he says it's almost like... Well, you could tell if it's like a humerus or a femur or a jaw. Well, he says it has these weird uh, ridges on the back of it that look like, like little wings, he describes them, coming off it, Right. So maybe it's part of a spinal structure or something. Okay. It's, just, it's not really described because he just can't understand. But he says, look, I decided that I would have my friend Jeremy take a look at it. And his friend Jeremy worked for, um, I think, he, a college somewhere nearby. He was studying paleontology and comparative anatomy. So it's like, it'd be fun trying to determine what kind of critter the bone was from. Mm-hmm. And he says, as he picks up this bone, he wraps it in a T-shirt and shoves it in his backpack. 
he gets this feeling. He's like, I get this feeling that someone is watching me from the gloominess of the shadows in the forest. See what I mean about adding all these words? But he's like, oh, it's like if something feels off and this finding this bone in the gloom is creeping me out a little bit. So he thought that perhaps he was just being a little bit paranoid, really, to say. So, um, and this guy is experienced. It's not like, you know, he's going out to the wilderness for the first time and doesn't know what he's doing. Like, he knows. So he, he stuffs this in his bag. And he starts hiking up this trail and he says he gets into the deeper and deeper and deeper into the woods. And he stops for a few seconds because he's panting, but he realizes that that's the only sound that he can hear. And he's like, mm. why is it that there's no birds? There's no birds. There's no sounds of the forest. Like nothing. It's like that effect that kicks in in so many of these high strangeness cases. And he said, it's like something was watching me and all the hackles on his neck were up and all the hair was up and... He's just like, I, I was looking around keenly, intently searching for the source of this weird feeling, but he couldn't work out where it was coming from. And again, you know, like we've described stories of people being attacked by Bigfoot. And one of the, the theories is, is that Bigfoot has some type of infrasound ability to project, you know, infrasound and can that can cause a panic when people are hit with balls of infrasound. It does cause, you know, an activation of your sympathetic nerve system and um, you know, it causes people to get into these heightened states. So maybe that's what's going on here. But you know, he doesn't think that it's a Bigfoot. And, uh, <coughs> pardon me, I'm still recovering. I know, yeah, I need that. So, um, it's also dry in here. I don't know why. It's like, so it's dry in so here. here. Regardless, uh, he keeps on, you know, traveling through the wilderness and everything kind of returns to normal. But he says this is elk, what he thought was an elk. And it's watching him. And he can't really make it out though. And he's like, is that an elk? And he's like, well, hang on. Elks are smart enough to stay away from humans. Like they're not going to, you know, suddenly allow a human being to come upon them. So it's like, it's not an elk. It's something else. So he starts describing how he has an M80 on him, like those, those firecracker things. He says, even though they're illegal, I had them just in case there was a bear, you know. And all of a sudden he starts to feel tired. It's like he's hit by this wave of something. And he comes tighter and tighter and he sees this tree. So he wanders over to this tree and then leans up against the tree. And as he leans up against the tree, he says, it's as if a big weight was pressing down upon my chest and I found it hard to breathe all of a sudden. I tried to fight this sudden feeling of stupor, but it was of no use. And he does, he passes out, right? He comes to, but we actually find that he comes to in a dream sequence. It's not actually him coming to, he comes to in this well, it's cave. It's like a false awakening or something. It's like a false awakening he has. Does he, he feel like he's asleep? Uh, yeah, well, he, no, he doesn't know he's asleep. He just feels like for him, it's all very visceral. Like it's all very real. And he comes to in this cave, but he looks down at his hand and his hand is like this black furred hand. No. And he's like, this is not like, and because he was groggy, right. And because he'd been so, it'd been so cold. He thought it was like a Gore-Tex glove that he'd been wearing. Right. And he's just like in his dream. And you know how, when you're in a dream, you can kind of rationalize things. So it's like, oh, it's my glove. And then he's got this horrible feeling of there being something, you know, really terrible that's occurring around him. He can see like this red glow down below this cave that he's in and he's just like confused and there's this horrible feeling and he wakes up and when he comes to it, but what's funny is that uh, I should point out is that in this dream scene that he's in, he's like got this bone and he's clutching this bone and he's stuffing it inside some type of fur skin like to protect it. And he comes too. Like he comes out of it and he so realizes. It's a weird psychometry. It's, he's, he's getting some kind of vision of the, the history of the of bone. Of this bone, right? So he's come out of it and he's completely in shock. And he realizes that he's freezing. Like he's absolutely freezing and he's curled up in this fetal position. 
And um, he's like, I have to get up. I have to go up the hill. I have to go and set up my camp. It's now starting to get dark. And he, he starts moving. Now, as he starts moving, uh, it's been two and a half hours that he's been asleep. He's like, how was I asleep just lying under this, this tree for two and a half hours? And uh, he hears this howl. And it's unlike any howl he's ever heard before. He says, it's like what you would imagine a bear to be, but something significantly larger, like much, much larger. And it rises and then lowers in this pitch like a wolf howl, but it never takes a breath. Mm. Like it just keeps going. And he's like, oh my God, this is really bad. Like, And all of, obviously he's starting to panic. Uh, and then all of a sudden he sees something moving like in the woods down below him. And he's looking and he sees like the woods parting and all of a sudden this thing comes barreling out of the woods. It's a massive bear. Like it's this bear. Oh, it actually is a bear. It's a bear, <laughs> make it, but it's not the bear making the noise. Oh, the bear's, is the bear running away? The bear is terrified. <laughs> and the bear is making a beeline for him, but it's almost like it's looking past him. Right, it doesn't and care that he's there, just wants to get out of he's it. He's like, oh my God, a bear, a bear. So he pulls out his M80, he's like fiddling with his, his Zippo light, <laughs> he lights it and he throws it, and this uh, M80 explodes. And the bear is just like, kind of goes around it. The bear doesn't care. And so he's like, I'm done for. And this bear like almost scrapes past him and just like, vroom, keeps like over his, and keeps going, right? It's gone. He's like, what the hell was that? Like, what the hell is going on? And he's looking and he's like, there's something. And he says he captures like an image of something deep down below him, but he's not sure exactly what it is. Uh, and I think it was around this point that he he sees this like silver stripe of some kind, mm. but he's not sure. And he thinks that it's like, he thinks that it's a skunk, but he's obviously it's not a skunk because it's much bigger than that. Um, but he said, look, I became extremely edgy, very nervous, uh, that eerie howl, the encounter with the bear, everything was with me. And two hours had passed, but it felt like only 10 minutes had passed. So he starts like traveling up deeper and deeper into the woods and he sets up camp and he sets up camp and he decides that he eventually wants to get up to the summit of this mountain. It's actually incredibly foolish. Um, I mean, he's quite driven, but you can tell that it's like there's something else psychologically going on with him. Because obviously his father's passed away and he's trying to process. And he has this kind of epiphany one evening when he's lying in this tent and he set up the tent. He's terrified about knowing that there's something there. but doesn't. And then he realizes, he's like, I've seen it before. I know what this is. I saw this when I was 10. And he's like, that's when my father abandoned me. My father left me with it, right? And all these memories and emotions start coming back. And this is where some of the more spiritual elements kind of kick in. People mm -hmm. that lean more towards the side of like, oh, no, this is like a therapeutic Bigfoot encounter. I'm like, there's nothing therapeutic about it. Um, but he doesn't really, he can't recall exactly what's going on. He just remembers that this is kind of part of the rift with him and his father. So uh, to make a long story short, he essentially has this uh, horrifying night where he's just, you know, you know, when you're constantly aware, like you try to sleep, but you know that there's something not right. You know that there's something around. And he's just like, every noise he wakes up, every kind of moment he wakes up. Uh, but then all of a sudden he's imbued with some type of energy. Like something comes over him, something is filling with him. And he doesn't say, like he doesn't lead into it, he doesn't actually say, but I, I get the impression it's like something external fed him with something, right? Right. And he's like, oh, I can make it up to the summit. So it's absolutely freezing. It's pelting down with snow. Uh, the guy's, you know, basically facing hypothermia. But he's like, oh, I'm going to get up to the summit. So he goes, right? He starts heading up this mountain, even though he's only had really an hour's worth of sleep. And as he's heading up the mountain, uh, he gets to this one point where he looks up and he sees that there's this cave. And he says it's like a black triangle just sitting in the whiteness of because all the snow that's up there. Right. And then he realizes that, you know, he gets the impression that that, 
like is connected to the dream. There's something that's going on here. Of course, he falls asleep, and once again, he falls asleep. He finds himself back in this place, like in this, and there's all this horror that's going on around him. Uh, and he's not, he, well, he doesn't say it. He's definitely not human, right? And he's picking up on something, and he starts freaking out about the bone again. Like he's just the bone, the bone, the bone. He wakes up. He's checking his backpack. He's making he's still sure. got the bone with him. He's yeah. still got the bone with him, right? And so he sets up this base camp and had headed up into this other part of, you know, close to the summit, where he'd camped again. And this is where he pulls out his monocular. And he finds that this thing, whatever it is, it's followed him. And How does he, he know? Because he can see it sitting in the shadows, right? And he c- focuses in closer and closer. And he realizes that this is this Bigfoot, essentially. He's astonished because he said, it looks like a really big man, but it's bigger than any man he's seen. It stood up like, upright like a man, but it was unlike any man. Uh, it was dark black. It was covered with bushy dark hair. It looked like a lanky gorilla with flared nostrils and a sharp ridge of thicker hair running down the length of the top of its head. It has strong jaw muscles attached to the ridges of its skull. It's walking easily along. It's leaping casually. Uh, it jumps 10 feet across a stream in one place. It just strides up the valley and he's like, it wants the bone. For whatever reason, he knows that it wants the bone. And he starts thinking, he's like, did I desecrate a grave? Like, did I, <laughs> did I pull up this bone that was connected with the, like, with the Bigfoot? Like, what, what's going on? And so he- Why did he keep it? If he has some horrible vision and all these horrible feelings, why did he hang on to it? I don't it? know. It's really weird, <laughs> right? Like, he's clearly not thinking properly. And I don't know if he's suffering from hypothermia. But he said, look, this thing was gone again. It had moved back into the deep shadows. But I, as it went, the last thing I saw was this big silver white stripe that adorned from the very top of its black head from the crest all the way down the middle of his back. And it was shining in the overcast daylight. It was like a white mane. Now, I don't know if he's saying that it's, it's luminescent, but it's obviously quite, you know, it's blatantly obvious for people to see. And he's like, oh my God, I'm trapped up here in the wilderness with the biggest wild animal I've ever seen. Anything I've ever stand, seen stand on two legs. What am I going to do? So... He's freaking out. He's like, I've got to pull myself together. I've got to pull myself together. Uh, and for whatever reason, rather than getting the hell out of there, he's like, I've got to make the summit. I've got to make the summit. Yeah, I don't understand this motivation to uh, try and get to the top of this mountain. Well, Why doesn't he just go home? Exactly. Right? So he heads up. But later on, we find out that he's actually seemingly trapped by this creature where the creature was that had stopped his path out. So he makes it up to this um, up to this cabin, or up to this summit, I'm sorry. Uh, and finally, when he gets up there, he seemingly has these, these couple of epiphanies that come through. And one is that um, he flashes back to when he was 10 years old, right? And all he remembers is that he and his father had encountered one of these creatures before. I don't know if it was the same location, mm. but encountered one of these creatures and somehow he had obviously either through the trauma or stress somehow moved it from his memory. Um, but his father had gone off to go and get something or get help or something and said to his son, stay here. And Brad had fallen down an embankment. And as he'd rolled down this embankment, he'd kind of gotten to this um, like ledge. And it wasn't very high, but it was high enough. And as he's on the edge of this, on this embankment, he sees this creature come. And as soon as this creature comes towards him, he lets go. And he falls, right? And he has a head injury. And he comes to, and all he comes to remembering is his father going, oh God, oh God, oh God, and trying to carry his son out of this wilderness. And he gets him to a hospital. It turns out he's suffering from traumatic amnesia. Um, how would his dad have found him? Because his father had told him to stay in that location and okay. he'd come back. And that's how he'd found him, right? But then uh, as part of this, right, it comes back, we skip back to, to the modern day. And he's up near this summit 
And he knows this creature's around and this creature is suddenly there once again. It's snow, the weather's really terrible. Everything's kind of, you know, coming. he's suffering from hypothermia. He's clearly not thinking properly. He falls off a ledge. Like he's right on the edge of this ledge, right? He starts falling. And as he's falling, this large black hand out of nowhere reaches down and (laughs) grabs him and reefs him back up. Thereby saving him, right? Saving him. And he's just like terrified. He says he doesn't know what is going on. Um, But this creature like had pulled him out. He said, I'm suffering from pain, exhaustion, but I've got tears welling up in my eyes. I'm you know, sobbing uncontrollably. I'm freaked out. I'm turning into a basket case, but this is not the location to do that. So he's like, I've got to get out of here. He's like, even though the creature wasn't responsible for him falling, and in fact, it had saved his life, he was traumatized by this. So he starts rushing and guess where he ends up? He's in like this whiteout from all the snow and he's just, like all confused and he finds the cave. Right, so he goes the in same cave the from same when he was cave, a boy. Right, so he goes was it like this when he was a boy. No, I don't think that's yeah, not quite. But he goes inside the cave, and when he's inside the cave, all those memories, all these psychometry memories, start rushing back. Like they start rushing back, and uh, he realizes that we never find out exactly what it is, but he gets this feeling that essentially there was a group of like townsfolk or something that were trying to burn out this creature. Like he said, his mate had gone, his children were gone. Uh, he was the last one left of his species or of this group. And there was all these townsfolk with pitchforks and flames and everything else. Well, how old is this Bigfoot? I don't know how old this Bigfoot is, is, right? This is the memory he's got, which is coming from, apparently. Oh, it's from the bone. It's from the bone, right? So it's the Bigfoot's and so, ancestors. And he, and he finds, like, this is how he kind of gets this understanding that this is like, yeah, the Bigfoot's ancestors mm. and, and what's happened to them. Um, but finally he comes to because he hears this voice saying, is there anyone in there? And he gets rescued. He gets rescued by another couple of hikers that are clearly, you know, much more prepared than he was. Uh, And they rescue him and they get him out of the mountain. And ultimately he goes home and he gets back on the train. And when he's on the train, they're like, oh, you look like you've been through hell. And he's like, actually, I have, you know. Uh, So that's the story um, for him. It's a very profound kind of thing that happens to him. It seemingly helps him, you know, solve the issues that he had with his father. He now has greater understanding of it, you know, blah, 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 all that kind of good stuff. Um, But the reality is, is that, He, like many others in this region, have encountered something that is an anomalous ape of some kind. It's a Bigfoot type of creature. And, you know, what really happened up there? I mean, is this just a story that this guy has made up? But this story, you know, apparently came from the 80s. It was published in 2014. And it's the exact location of where this footage has come out. So what can we draw from that? Is it that someone's Do you believe this story's real? Um, I'm going to reserve my judgment. I'm more inclined to be like... Because it's the way that the book is written. Yeah, it's written like I've, a yeah, like a novel. Right? I'm, yeah, more leaning towards like no, this is and just a the fact that Rusty Wilson is it, it writes the introduction. Yes, Rusty Wilson writes his Bigfoot experience. There's a new one every week. There are a lot the of guys written like coming. 25, 30 books yep. about Bigfoot experiences. It's yep. like a Bigfoot experience is incredibly rare incredibly rare. Well, it is. But then, and the reason why I wanted to but mention But the guy's this got case, a new one every week. It's yeah, cl- and he that's calls, Rusty Wilson. He calls his books campfire stories. That's right, yeah. So they're clearly fictional. So if well, this story- Well, he claims they're not, though. But yes, I know what you're saying. If if this story was real and Brad Morris is a real person, why would he get the number one Bigfoot fiction writer to do an introduction for his book? Well, that's just the thing, though, because he's not officially the Bigfoot fiction writer. He claims that his stories are, are real. 
So it's like, you know, you've got to draw your own conclusions from I, this kind of I stuff. I think Brad Morris is Rusty Wilson. Maybe. Yeah, that's that's a good question as well. And Rusty right. Wilson is like, all right, I've I've hit my quota of my Bigfoot experiences <laughs> for the month. I need I a, an alias I, right. so I can publish another one. Have you just straight? my just my opinion. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But the thing is, right, is that there's something going on here because then you've got books like Bigfoot in Colorado, Mysterious Encounters. This was written by Frank Henderson. Uh, and you've got collections of reports in there as well from over the years of people describing, you know, similar experiences. They're not as, um, I don't want to say batshit crazy, but it's kind of like that because there is this, you know, section of Bigfoot stories mm. of people like, oh, it's all love and light and it's all healing and it's all wonderful. Um, but, you know, there's people describing, you know, taking going to an Airbnb, right? There was a family that came out from, from uh, it was somewhere on the, the uh, East Coast, I'm sorry. And they had come out to, you know, stay in Colorado in this Airbnb. And, you know, the, the kids straight away are just like, there's something really weird going on, Dad. Like, there's something very uncomfortable outside. And the father was just insistent. He's like, you're being stupid. You know, we live in the city. So, obviously, the wilderness is going to freak you out, that kind of thing. Uh, until one evening, they're all playing um, like Scrabble or a board game. And they look up into the window. There's just literally a Bigfoot face, like in the window, and they're like, "Ah!" And of course, the Bigfoot, "Ah!" It's, you know, <laughs> it's the typical kind of encounter. So I'll link to that book in the show notes as well because that's a collection of of short stories of people that have had encounters with these. Oh, so, but, yeah, this, this is Bigfoot is, in Colorado, mysterious okay. encounter. But also, one. I'll link to to Stalked as well, so you can read it and work out what you want. Look, I I'm probably leaning more towards what you're saying, Ben, because like I said, for me, if you're telling a story, right, you're telling your experience. You normally would make it more like a report. You'd be like, "Well, this is what happened. This is when yeah. it happened. This is how it happened." And most Bigfoot encounters that appear to be genuine experiences are very short, very fleeting glimpses, if that, of something. Yeah, the vast majority of them are people who see something run across the road. They see something stand up and then dash off, or they hear something, or they you know. It, but that it's, is true. It's never so drawn out that it's this amazing adventure. But that is true. But there are a number of cases where you do, and this is what sits more towards that other end of the spectrum I was describing. Uh, people have uh, habituation experiences with Sasquatch living in their properties. Yeah, that's a different uh, scenario. Yeah. And, and for this, but this kind of fits in the same kind of thing, right? Uh, and then of course, you know, you have a collection of people that start interacting with the phenomena. <laughs> Again, <laughs> this is oh, we need a cough switch. This is why we can't do video. Um, then you've got, you know, the collection of reports that come out of the Bigfoot of Bailey, Colorado and its portal. Now, I'll link to this documentary in the show notes so you can go and watch it for yourself. But I What's do, it called again? This is the Bigfoot of Bailey, Colorado. Bigfoot of Bailey, Colorado. Where can we watch this? And its portal. So this is available on Amazon. Uh, it's also available on a number of other streaming services, but I'll link to those. Um, it, it's fascinating that I think this is a really good explanation uh, or demonstration, I'm sorry, of a group of people that are already heavily ingrained in the the industry, I suppose. They're believers. Um, they're believers. They're hardcore True believers. believers. Uh, and they start seeing things that potentially I don't think are there. Uh, but then at the same time, um, there's other elements that kind of come in which fit with, make you know, that make you really go, mm, what's going on here? So let's bring up some of this, this stuff, Ben. So first of all... Um, don't worry about video number one and two, Ben. We won't worry about that now. I'll come back to that later on. Um, but I want to, you know, we've got good old Nick Redfern. Great, here, right? Nick. Nick in this documentary gives a perfect explanation for where I sit also with this phenomenon, where people suggest that it's that it's flesh and blood. Uh, I don't think it's flesh and blood. I think there is an interdimensional element to it. Uh, and Nick you know, thinks that this is exactly what's going on. So play number three for me, please, Ben. 
how in the 21st century can eight foot tall gigantic apes elude everyone all the time it's just not feasible so i think we're dealing with a creature or creatures that are sort of multi-dimensional i i don't believe bigfoot is just an unknown ape you know i don't think it's an, a north american equivalent of an african gorilla what i think is that we're dealing with something that is not very often in our reality and maybe the only time it is in our reality is when people see it uh, or see them and when we're not seeing them it's because it's not because they're hiding they're not behind behind a trunk or in a cave it's because they're no longer in our reality and that's why most of the reports that you just described there ben are fleeting like that's why i think most of the reports are short is because it's not just some breeding population of anomalous eight-foot apes it's they're moving from one dimension to the next yeah that's the same conclusion we've come to because there is so many reports. I mean, there's so many people report seeing these things. It's all across the world. There's mythology and legends from every single culture you care to name. No matter where it is on the planet, they have legends. They have mythology of the hairy wild man of the forest. That's right. And people yep. in those places still see them today. Yeah. So it's not mass delusion. It's not some archetype that is in every culture, although some would argue that. Clearly, people are seeing something. Yeah. And people are seeing uh, consistently, you know, this shimmering effect, which is being described, them seemingly passing through some type of spatial rift, if you will. Uh, there's a great example here, actually, of a witness, and I don't have his name, they didn't include his name, but of a witness describing seeing something like this in Bailey, Colorado. You know, walking into a clearing, which I could see, it was lit up by the sun. There was trees that were about 20 yards apart, and he was walking in between two trees crops of trees, pine trees, going out into a clearing. And as you walked into the clearing, there was a shimmer that began as a circle. And it came in like this, and it kept going like this. And as he kept walking, everything that was on the outside of the shimmer disappeared, and it got to the center, and it just went away. And at that point, it was gone. I like how he's just got all the missing four-on-one books behind yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 fascinating um, because there are connections there as well of people, you know, describing that uh, they've tried to be pulled into interdimensional rifts. There's that great story of a guy describing that he was out Bigfoot hunting and he hears like a crack over his shoulder and then got him or something like that and something like a big That's hairy right. hand, you know, yeah. reached out through the yeah. shimmering field and tried to pull him. You know, wild, crazy stories. Uh, but this particular documentary, it focuses on uh, three main people. Uh, and you've got, you know, Jim Myers, uh, and he runs this uh, Bigfoot museum, essentially, in in Bailey. Uh, but also, he's teamed up with Alan uh, McGargle and Jesse Morgan. And this is in 2020, right? So they came up with this, what they call like a, a Bigfoot weekend, and they get people to come out, uh, you know, from other locations. They first started this in Ohio, I understand, and they come out to this particular location and people try to make contact uh, with Bigfoots, right? They go hunting for them. And, you know, they do the, the classic kind of thing of like, you know, banging sticks against trees. I don't think it's as extreme as doing things like lighting fireworks, that kind of stuff. Um, but then... There's also these very spiritual elements that seem to step in. And in fact, there's one eyewitness here that describes something that happened when she was meditating at one of these Bigfoot adventure weekends. So I was on a hike with the night ops group and I kind of fell back a little bit and just like listen. 
there was a few sounds because it was late at night, so I couldn't see what made them. Uh, but that's kind of when it started. I started feeling this feeling in my back, like a warmth or like a tingle. So it kind of alerted me that something was there. So then I caught up with the group and we all sat down just to kind of listen for a little bit. And I closed my eyes and kind of went into a meditative state. And in this darkness, I suddenly saw this red figure in my mind. It kind of looked like an orange orangutan. It was very hairy, uh, human-like in form, but I couldn't quite see the face. But immediately I knew that it was a Bigfoot. And it reached out its arm, very long, very hairy, kind of like in a, a offering gesture of like friendship. So I reached out my hand and kind of connected that way. And then it just kind of faded away. I opened my eyes, but that experience really changed me. And it made me realize that these Bigfoots, they could be loving and they could offer friendship. So it was a really amazing experience. And at this point of the documentary, I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> so we're firmly right. in the, the spiritual Bigfoot realm. Now. I'm in. Yeah. I mean, it, and it, again, this is just something that she's seeing in her mind's eye. It's not a, well, we shouldn't well, say it's no. not a real encounter, but it is. It's important to highlight that, though. Yeah, yeah, because uh, she yeah. didn't physically see it. Look, uh, and this is where I, I started to go. Well, uh, is this a, you know, a a Bigfoot equivalent of you know a Stephen Greer group? Mm. You know, like they're just a group of people are getting together. Uh, they're focusing their intention on something. It is generating something that is you know um, you know supernatural or unknown to us. Um, but is it a bunch of Bigfoot that are reaching out and trying to make friendship with you? But you know, people like Lapsaritis, for example, it's like very much so that these Sasquatch are, you know, they've got a message for humanity and they're trying to save us, even though they're dumb idiots and they keep on stuffing everything up. Um, this seems to be the case. So, of course, you know, I was in. I, like, I had to keep going with this. And uh, I'm pleased that I did because what happens next is that the next video I want to play for you, the next snippet, and I've had to chop these up because it's it's quite a lot of these sections are quite long so i've chopped them up forgive the editing uh but essentially this is uh ron mayer and alan mcgargle they're they're sitting there describing how this strange synchronicity took place right so essentially he, uh, they'd gone into um the local bigfoot museum this is where jim was working and they had a shop assistant there and they weren't there at the time. And essentially he had said, look, can I give them a copy of this DVD? And this DVD was about, you know, alien abductions, something that was going on. And the shop assistant says something incredible as she leads them to a very unusual location. So it all started, you know, when I took one of these, which is kind of the story of this place. Sure. Uh, to the gift shop. And the lady was in there. I said, would you give this to the owners, Mary Ruth and Craig? And she said, yes. And she looked at that. And she immediately said, I was abducted by aliens. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> People don't usually just come out with that. No. So this was the beginning of this log sequence. And so I said, well, tell me about it. And it was a kind of a teenage event, which happened when she was in a car. And, and uh, she felt she was abducted and came back and abducted. And that kind of got her on this track of being interested in this sort of stuff. Okay. And then she said, oh, there's something I want to show you, tell you about. And she took us to the tree and said, this is a spirit tree or a prayer tree. And it's, it's been verified by shamans of the Ute tribe, which is, you know, here. And it's also at Skinwalker Ranches, you know. It's just a random freaking tree. <laughs> no, it's right. been verified by the Ute oh, shamans. I hate that. You know, like, for God's sake. If something's sake. been verified by the natives, it must be real. So it's just this random tree, right? 
And um, but what's fascinating about this? There's, there are these synchronicities, right? Why did it have a mailbox on it? I don't. I don't even know. I think it's like I think it's a signboard or something. And I'm like, what? What is this? So. It's where what? he gets his council bills from, his council rates. Yeah. Well, basically what happens is, though, is that Alan, who had been up in Ohio, he's like, well, strangely enough, something very strange had happened up in Ohio. So, okay, just bear with me on this. He gets a psychic in. So Alan's with this other group of Bigfoot researchers. It's along the same lines as this. I don't know if it's exactly the same, but it's along the same lines. A group of believers, right? And they get this psychic in, and the psychic is like, oh, no, this tree is sad. Right? So Alan being there and this group, <laughs> they all go and put their hands on the tree and something fascinating does happen. Because the tree is sad. It just occurred to me, by the way, that the last time we played clips of a documentary, our entire video was copyright. What <laughs> right. Who cares? So if you're I'm, watching I'm this- I'm sharing this with you. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank God. But otherwise, if the show's, you know, if the show's only 20 minutes long, that's, that's why, why on YouTube. But let's have our fingers crossed. Yeah, so there was a, a tree on the neighbor's property up there um, that just uh, the, the psychic Tish said that it, it, it was sad. It was a sad tree. So she had our group kind of go around there, and there was maybe five or six people, um, and all put their hands on the tree in a circle and just kind of close their eyes and send their healing positive energy into the tree. And I kind of hung back with Tish and started taking photographs just to see if I could catch any energy or orbs or I wasn't sure what. And then the very Wait last for photo it. that I took, the the tree was just glowing from within. <laughs> All right, hang on. Hang on. So <laughs> who gives a shit if the tree is sad? Who cares if the tree if a tree is sad? Toughen up, sunshine. The world is a big place. So if you're not watching this video, if you're just listening, essentially there's a bunch of people that have been guided by this psychic to go to this tree and touch the tree. And he's taking these photographs as he steps back, right? And this is important because the photographs come up later on. And one of these images has the tree glowing underneath. So they're saying that's not from no. a torch or no. some kind of camera light they've got. This no. is actually the tree lighting up Allegedly. when they caught it on camera. Yes. Very spectacular and, and a dramatic event that you couldn't really see with your naked eye. So that happened back in Ohio. And this is an incredible experience for them. But it, it sets the scene for... Like, I don't know if it's a, an element of shamanism. It's like the fey folklore of, you know, like entities being trapped in trees, that kind of stuff. So because they've had this random woman who happens to work in a Bigfoot shop, by the way, go, oh, I was abducted by aliens. Here's a tree. They all go out to the tree, <laughs> right? They all go out to this tree and they all put their hands on the tree. Well, is this the same tree? This is the depressed this tree? Is the, no, this is the tree in, in uh, Bailey, okay. right? Which they've been told is this spirit tree, verified spirit tree. Uh, so you've got uh, Ron and Alan describing their experience when they put their hands on the tree. And so we walked over to the tree and we were probably positioned as we are right now. And maybe even if, if it was sort of like this in the trees in between, I'm, uh, I got my hands on it, my eyes are closed, and I presume yours were too. Yep. And I looked over like this, and I went, oh my God, here's his shape. Big shape, typical Bigfoot, head, shoulders, standing probably foot and a half above you. And, and then you, so it was separated by, you were kind of waffling, like, you know, the old kind of breakup static electricity, you know, you see sometimes on television where a figure's not quite there and it's coming in and out of existence. And you weren't 
expecting to see anything. I was not expecting to see anything. You didn't sense that something was about to happen. I had no sense that anything was going on. I wasn't getting any vibes from the tree. And I was maybe even saying, oh boy, this isn't working for me. And then open up and wow. Okay. They're being very vague there. What exactly happened? Okay, so they, me, I'm getting the sense that some kind of ethereal Sasquatch appeared in over very, one of them. Very much so. So don't worry about playing nine because I can describe it much easier. You're right. Like they were very kind of waffly about it. Essentially what happens is they both put their hands on the tree. And for whatever reason, Alan feels like he's been enveloped in some type of uh, field of energy of some kind. And uh, Ron opens his eyes and he can see him phasing in and out of reality. Like Alan, And right behind Alan is a Bigfoot. There's a Bigfoot standing behind him. Now, where we get verification of this, Ben, uh, and don't worry about this, but so we'll, we'll come back and we'll come back to 10, so don't worry about nine. Mm-hmm. But essentially they say that they speak to a psychic, right? They speak to this Dr. Rebecca Foster, who her job is, in fact, it says right here, channels past events. Like, that's exactly what she does. She channels this event. And she's sitting there describing to Alan what she sees. And she's like, oh, there's like all this energy, which is like building up at the tree and it's coming up through the tree, much like the light that we saw on the previous image. And it's coming up and it's kind of, you know, flowing over the top and it's essentially creating this portal, this doorway that had pulled him through. And Alan later on describes, he's like, well, I felt like I was transported somewhere. I was taken somewhere. So he was taken to the Bigfoot realm, right? That lives in this tree. <laughs> cool. In this particular tree. So we can't completely, you know, like really rag on it. It's, it's pretty funny. But then the next synchronicity comes through. And this is where they bring in Carol Morgan. So let me explain something. Uh, they get together and they want to run a conference of some kind. And it's a conference that's like a, um, a Bigfoot conference connected with a more spiritual aspect and, you know, American Indian stuff. You know, really fascinating stuff. <laughs> Pardon me. And um, they have all these people that want to come in. And Carol Morgan happens to be this psychic, I suppose. And she um, decides to go to the conference. And so before she goes to the conference, without even thinking about it, she allegedly sits down and starts meditating. And when she meditates, important information comes through. So play 10 for me, please. This is clip 10. This is clip 10. This is Carol Morgan. During that meditation, I had an out-of-body experience. I didn't know it at the time, but now I understand what it was. And I found myself in the Swiss Alps. Physically, I've never been there, but I knew it was the Swiss Alps. And in the meditation, we were being led to this being that had a message for us. When I started approaching that being, I realized that it wasn't human. But it's not that I saw the being, I perceived the energy of the being. And that being's message to me was that I was on my way to changing the world. When I came out every of time I had a small receipt from a Taiwanese 7-Eleven. I wrote As you do. a message and then I felt like there was more that needed to come out. I grabbed my notebook and I started on the back. I thought it was going to be another short message and I wrote about four or five pages of channeled material where they introduced themselves as the Blue Avians. Oh, the Blue Avians. David Wilcox style. The Blue Avians. What's his dumb sidekick's name? Oh, Corey Good. Corey Good. So the Blue Avians, so she's a channeler. She channels four to five pages of stuff. And it's the Blue Avians that are telling her, because this is always a way, right? Like you're special. You're going to change the world. Uh, She's heading towards the tree. She's heading towards the tree in Bailey, Ohio. So trying to find the blue avians. What I need to do now 
is that, uh, oh, yeah, this, the Blue Avians. Did you find a website of hers or any no, I sketch of what she saw? Does it match? I didn't look into that because I was, I'm not really focused on that. I want to focus more on the, the spirit that's so in the, the tree. So the Blue Avians is where it's at. I'll this come is back. the key to everything. <laughs> this is the key to everything, the Blue Avians. Pardon me. I'll come back to the Blue Avians at some point in, in the, the future. In the Mayan space program. But look, so... um. It's the 21st century and, and modern technology, you know, might give us some insight as to what's going on inside this tree. So you get Alan, who uh, takes this off-the-shelf solution, piece of technology, uh, that he believes that he can utilize to uh, capture an image of a Bigfoot, like an interdimensional Bigfoot, an interdimensional Sasquatch. He tapes an iPad to an Xbox camera. <laughs> but play number 11, please, Ben. Using an Xbox 360 module developed by Microsoft... The Kinect SLS camera has an infrared light projector with a monochrome CMOS sensor that shows everything as dots arranged in 3D formation. These infrared dots allow the camera to show depth and detail. The IR sees an entity by recognizing a human-like shape based on joints and movements and displays it on the screen. That's actually pretty clever that he figured that out. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's intriguing, right? Um, but I, I think it's this, more than just an iPad look, taped to a camera, which is why how you're trying to make the it. problem with this stuff is, and this happens with ghost hunters as well, right? And he's got a lot of these pieces of equipment, all these little electronic devices. Like he produces, he comes to the tree and he produces like a mini Tesla coil, and he's got like a little EMF reader and. Mm. You know, and then he starts doing this EVP stuff at the site where it's like, come on, like apparently it says, yep. And I'm like, wait, so he's trying to say that the Xbox camera, because it's got infrared and that software is trying to detect a, a jointed humanoid shape. Yes. If there's something at the tree, at the tree that exists in the infrared spectrum. Yes. This software will pick it up. We'll be able to pick it up. And that's exactly what happened. They get a group of them, including Carol Morgan, the channeler of the Blue Al uh, Avians, they go to this tree and they all lay hands on the tree. This is 12? 12, please. <laughs> Ron invites everyone to come over and put their hands on the prayer tree. As happened the summer before, everybody has an altered state experience. Just put your hand on the tree like... Ah! <laughs> ah! Ah! <laughs> it's fun to go along with these groups. Then, Alan stepped back with this SLS device and saw something amazing. Jim, Scott, and CJ see it too. Can you see it? It's like in the tree. A humanoid figure, invisible to the naked eye, appears to be dancing in the tree. Okay, come on. <laughs> There's so many reasons why the software would do that. So first of all, the software is looking for a humanoid shape, yes. right? Mm -hmm. So it, as long as it finds the Something right amount of points, mm -hmm. it's going to put a humanoid shape there. No, it's it's a it's a creature in the so, tree bed. How dare you? How dare you? Oh, by the way, though, this is why it's a really good example of like this paradoia and seeing things that you know aren't there. It's because it's like, look, look at the tree, look at it, look at it, right? But in the image, right, you can see that that notice board, which mm. is nailed into the tree. That's the height of the creature. But then in the next shot, he's describing it being eight feet tall. Watch. Let me have a look here. What are you talking about? So play the next video for me. Which oh, is you've 13. got another. I thought we were looking at this again. 
No, I played Liz, 13. Liz, hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. <laughs> hello, my ragtime girl. But you see where it is. Like, what, look where it is. It's at the top. It's locked yeah, yeah. onto the top of that notice board, which is lower than the height of that woman. But then go to number 13. Looking at where it was locking on, it was about right where this knot is, a little, maybe a little above it. So it was just this tall. I'm six foot pretty much on the dot. So you're looking at over eight feet, maybe? No, I'm sorry. What I'm is just... he trying to say there? I didn't quite understand okay, that. Okay, so he's claiming that it had locked on to the height of the creature at being at that, that notch up the top. But you can see clearly from the footage that it's only at the point yeah, of that notice board. not at the same height. And he's like, no, 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 it's all the way up at the notch. Like, so it's definitely an eight-foot creature. I want them to go back to the depressed tree and it's just like, <laughs> I fucking hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> But it gets better, right? Because by this point, I was invested. I'm like, okay, look, I'm willing to to entertain <laughs> what's going on with you people. That's fine. So uh, what have I got here? So I don't want to... Um, oh, yes, the uh, the attunements, right? Okay, so don't don't worry about 14. That's just Kawani Lapsaritis. Oh, now I want to see 14. Well, 14 is basically Kawani Lapsaritis at a 2004 um, MUFON conference, I believe, or something like that, describing how um, he had... Oh. Yeah, he had gone out to uh, see, he'd seen a UFO, right, hovering over his house. So he telepathically communicates with this, uh, and we know the story, like he telepathically communicates with the UFO. And he says, um, if you're real, get the Sasquatch people to give me gold, because he goes gold prospecting, right? (laughs) Long story short, he wakes up in the morning and there's these little rubies that are in in his kitchen. And it keeps on happening, right? Actual rubies. Actual rubies, like little stones. And it keeps on waking up every morning because he puts it to the side. He's like, every morning I'm waking up and I'm finding these rubies. So he just happens to speak to a Chokchaw, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, uh, shaman. And the shaman's like, oh, yeah, they come from the Bigfoot people. Like they're from the Bigfoot. Yeah. Like straight, just like, just bluntly. Like, yeah, yes, they're, they're known for their rubies. They're, they're from the Bigfoot people. No, they're like attunement devices. Okay. So what attunement devices are is he was given these things to hold on to and meditate. And when you meditate, it enhances your ability to connect with these beings, right? trying to recall this from his stories. Well, he takes it to a a gem. There's some gem show that happens and he pays 20 bucks to have it analyzed. And the guy that analyzes it under a microscope, he's like, how is this made? It's impossible. This appears to be an attunement stone. Well, no, because he says inside it, like it's a, a ruby or like this red stone, but inside it is gold. He's like, there's gold inside it. Oh. And he's like, if you let me take this, I'll have it analyzed and I can cut it in half. And Kwani's like, no, 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 you can't, you can't damage it. Like it's this device. And Kwani later on is just like, yeah, like I use these devices to meditate. But the reason why I wanted to include that story is because we go back to Carol, right? So Carol, the channeler from the Blue Avians, mm. not only does she do all these channelings and she does all these uh, drawings, these attunement drawings. And they're given these drawings that they all have to focus on from the channelings, and they all focus on the drawings, and that allows them to connect with an entity of some kind. Wait, so where do they get the drawings from? It came from the channeling. So previously okay. she channeled, the blue avians gave her these attunement symbols, and she, these people focus, they bring the symbols, which looks like crop circles almost, with like a weird language written on it. Um, no you know, language that is of you know, earthly existence. And um, also, it could be such a batshit crazy person just scribbling something. <laughs> so, and they come gobbledygook. To, they come, gobbledygook. They come to the tree and then they start doing like focusing on the things, the, on the attunements. So play for me, please, Ben, uh, number 15, where they decide to use the attunements at the tree. Carol decided it was time to use the attunement. She passed out copies for everybody to look at. That's one of them. 
you it's like guys a Celtic design. Hold space. Hmm. Hold space means you just. She's channeling right now. They'll let us know what you're going to do. So Carol faced north, as told to her by the attuned. Seconds after the REM pod goes off, Xena appears. My name is Xena. My name is Xena Allen indeed. And what a joy. What a beautiful communion. It is fascinating, fascinating to us when beings are in search for truth, in search of truth, in search of understanding. Just your typical waffling, channeling bullshit, oh, right? I, I can't stand the channelers that put zero effort in. Mm. Especially in the transformation. <laughs> well, like you're overtaken by some multidimensional entity and you're just like, hello, I am Xena from blah, I know. blah. You know what? If you are here to learn things. I will say things. You got to be like, you got yeah. to be, you got to be overtaken by something. If, if, you're, you're, gonna, if you're being a channeler, you yes. got to be Valerie Barrow style. Algeringa. 16, please. If you're oh, going to channel, got an- this is how you do it. Oh, you've got one. Nice. Nice. I am here, my dear. I am very pleased to be here. It is, as you have said, 17 years since I first came here in this very sacred land, this very sacred area, which is a little like an Alexandria of Egypt in, shall I say, the same carry-on is to Australia. That is a channeling. That is how you channel. You gotta be like, <gasps> yeah, I mean, that's, that's how you do it. Sadly, she's dead now. So, you know, no more channeling coming from Valerie. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, if you want to channel, that's how you do it. But- I like how we think exactly the same. I'm like, you've, you've got to have some kind of Valerie Barrow <laughs> style this, freak. And immediately, you be like, doing? clip 16, Valerie Barrow, <laughs> so, ready to go. But then, right, they're, they're all standing around this tree. And there's this, like, and this goes, on and on and on. And it's like, there's obviously an awkwardness because they're all standing there, all kind of like bowing their heads. And it's almost like you can see them looking at each other like, when's this going to end? Like, <laughs> even the guy in the now, no wonder the tree's fucking sad. It's just like, yeah. I don't know. I'm like, okay, I have yeah, to stop Yeah, that's why now. the tree was depressed because yeah, all so those people were around. I'm like, I have to stop now. Like, this is it. I'm going to have to stop. And right as I'm about to press the stop button to, to drag these clips out, this happens. Oh, uh, he- Just oh, I like I like how you had to clip it because it obviously goes on for way too long. I had to clip it because it kept going and going, and they're all just standing there, like, oh yeah, that, that's that's totally normal. Okay, right. But what I will give you, and I think this is the coup de grace of this entire segment, right? Is that uh, nothing you know can really underestimate uh, the, the modern technology that allows us to see what's going on. This time they're not using an Xbox Connect 360 camera or whatever it is. Uh, this time they use a mobile phone that has a ghost hunting app on it. Mm-hmm. And as this woman is there channeling and singing, they point the camera towards her. At one point during the chat, Jim Meyer started recording with his SLS phone app. And this is what he captured. 
There seems to be some sort of energy flowing from Carol's third eye to the mountains in the distance. Is the tree itself <laughs> oh my God. as the native Utes thought? Or had our joint consciousness cohered and conjured an inexplicable experience to be shared with the world? That so, is so retarded. So, it was well, if you haven't, can you seen, describe you that to the listeners? She is she is standing next to this tree, and those same humanoid forms are detected by the camera, so you can see that. But it's in the people that are standing there, so that's all normal. But all of a sudden, these two laser-like beams start shooting out, apparently from her third eye, into the mountains above her. And it happens over and over. And so for them, they're like, well, this is what's happening. She's channeling from the mountains. Like it's coming down from the mountains. The knowledge is coming through. I'm like, no, this is, it's just the camera locking onto random points. Well, they should know that the software that's doing that is just connecting points together. They're not beams. No, Ben. It's got nothing no, to do with her third it's eye. advanced opening of your third eye connecting to the, the dancing tree spirit. Okay. Like, I can't believe that you're just so yes, cynical is, about this. <laughs> I can't even do that it. is great. A low IQ retardation. Like, even for Big Mot material, that is right down at the bottom of the barrel. It's it's such a shame because I, th- I think there is something to this phenomenon. Like, so many people can't have these experiences with Sasquatch. I think je- people, there are people that have genuine experiences. Obviously, there's a whole heap of batshit crazy people that just, you know, make up stuff. But then when you get to this level, I actually think they believe it. I think that they believe it. And I think they have had some synchronicities, experiences, like something is going on. But to jump to, oh, well, look what's happening in the, it's like ghost hunters, you know, oh, look at this. I saw a small thermal image. I'm like, no, it doesn't, it's not, you're making it bigger than it really is. Like you're really blowing it way out of proportion. Well, it's also the case if, if you already believe that you're going to have some psychic contact with a Sasquatch and you get together in this group situation where you're trying to get into an altered state and you're yeah. trying to receive some message, you're trying to have something come through, perhaps even something take control of your body, which is what these channelers do. You know, oh, there's as, definitely as we, something coming as through. As we know from our research, there's a horde of entities lining up to take advantage of this situation. And that's, that's and what it's I not think. necessarily uh, some kind of hairy Sasquatch monster. And that's the thing. I, what I didn't understand about this documentary is that are they saying that it's a Sasquatch spirit trapped in the tree? Like, I, I never really understood. I'm like, is that what you're saying? Or because they make reference to a whole range of other creatures, they make mm. reference to Skimwalker Ranch, the Bradshaw Ranch that they've gone and they've done their explorations and investigations upon. Um, I think this is another example of people getting close to the phenomenon, uh, but the phenomenon is pushing back, is messing with them. I think that's you know a, another great example of this. But look, uh, don't let me dissuade you from watching it. Go and have a look at the documentary, the full documentary mm-hmm. yourself. I'll link to it in the show notes. You can pick it up at Amazon. Uh, there's other streaming services where it's available. I'll also link to the book uh, so you can check it out. I, I certainly like your contributions to the side of... Uh that that Sasquatch is real today. You've really, I think, um, I, I think you've I've really underlined your case that the uh, the recent sighting in Colorado <laughs> is firmly planted in solid evidence and logical reasoning. I'm, I'm pleased that I was able to express <laughs> it's like, that. Obviously, <laughs> this is real. Look at all this retarded stuff I found. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this connects to David Wilcox's Blue Avians. <laughs> <laughs> Your Honour, I rest my case. It's all real. I can't <laughs> believe you're being so cynical on this episode. Oh, it's funny. I think that uh, maybe what you've uncovered may 
just may give us some insight into what I've got coming up in the Plus Extension, Reno Stefano's classic reporting on the Zanfretta case. This is a decades-long investigation okay. into what was initially one man's claims of encounters with three-metre-tall hideous entities in the mountains of Italy. How could he see them if he didn't have an Xbox camera? That's a great question. Those are the kind of that questions that I need you for in the Plus Extension coming up. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. How could you see it's, anything yeah. in the 1970s without an Xbox camera? I'm going to make a considerable contribution. <laughs> no, it is a really incredible story. It's a long, detailed, in, involving story with twists and turns. Cool. And you'll see on the cover there, there's a giant freaking footprint yep. right next to that uh, Italian policeman's boot. We're going to dive into the case, find out what really happened and how it connects to this mysterious American billionaire who was very interested in this man and there was a lot of money being put into what he claimed he received from these entities in the late 1970s. We're going to jump into that case uh, in a moment in our Plus extension. To get access, head to mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash plus. This is the end of our free show we put up on YouTube and in our free podcast. But this is not the end of the show. Obviously, there's a lot more coming up. If you want to get access, head to mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash plus. All the details are there. You get access to the big extensions we do on these shows every single week. And of course, uh, Plus members get access to entirely exclusive shows that we do every single Tuesday as well. Uh, Plus members are also getting access to a totally ad-free version of the show. You're getting um, a higher quality MP3 version of the show. And if you sign up for our MU Max tier, you get access to our 16, 17 years worth of back catalogue. It's all there, mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash plus. Check it out. Help support your favorite show. That's a wrap for this free edition of MU. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. If you're on Plus, stick around for the great stuff after the break. For everyone else, we'll catch you next week. Welcome back to your Plus Extension. Great to have you with us. That was fun. Thanks.